please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in just a moment, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1 down to verse 11. Before I read that, I'd like to continue what I started last week, which was offering a presentation of the gospel that maybe you've been familiar with. And here's one of them that I know I'm quite familiar with from my Christian upbringing. It goes something like this. Imagine that you're on your way home from church and you get in a terrible car accident and die. And then you're standing before God at the gates of heaven and he asks you, why should I let you into heaven? In this presentation, the person asking says, what would you say? Do you think that you will go to heaven when you die? And oftentimes, as at least I've heard this conversation play itself out, the person might say, you know, I don't know. I've not really thought about it. Or they might say, yeah, I think God will let me into heaven because I'm a pretty good person. And the point of this question is to really get to the heart of what is the basis of your hope for salvation. And in many ways, I think that's an excellent thing to pursue in a conversation with someone. And so then at some point, the Christian, especially if the person responded in either of those two ways, you know, I don't know, or I think I'm a pretty good person. I would go to heaven. They might try and gently but firmly say, well, in fact, the Bible says, and then normally it could be a variety of things, but one of them that's very common is the Romans road. And they might say in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23. But God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. And so then if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, then you'll be saved. Romans 10.9. And then, after explaining these four passages in Romans, that's the Romans road, four selected passages from the the letter written to the Romans, the Christian might ask this person, so do you want to know for certain if you're going to go to heaven when you die? And I was told this, so again, maybe this isn't what you heard, but it's as easy as ABC. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe, as Romans 10 says, that Jesus is Lord and was raised from the dead, and then Commit yourself to following Jesus. A, B, C. Admit, believe, commit. Would you like to do that right now? And if the person says yes, then the Christian would say, okay, great. Repeat this prayer after me, and then you'll be saved. Dear God, A, I admit that I'm a sinner. B, I believe that Jesus is Lord, and he died for my sins and rose from the dead. And C, I now commit my life to you and want to follow Jesus. Amen. I'm just curious, like this was probably the most common way I heard the gospel growing up. Anybody else say, oh, I've heard that before. That's like the bread and butter. Based off of last week's message, is that the gospel? Is that the message that we should share with our friends and our family if we want to help them learn how to become a Christian? Well, very similar to last week, I'm not going to tell you that the Romans wrote of all things, or even the sinner's prayer is false teaching as if it's completely way off base. But similar to last week, 
I feel like there's some holes. There's more that probably should be said. If not what's being said, how it's being said, how it's being delivered. I'm very confident that some of you, if not even my own faith, began because of a presentation like that. And that you genuinely became a Christian through messages of the gospel that aren't necessarily the full message, but it's the message of Jesus. But for the average person, when they hear a message like the one I just summarized, and when it begins with, are you going to go to heaven when you die? I think many of the people that hear it are assuming all kinds of baggage about non-material, non-bodily, spiritual existence for all of eternity. And in many ways, that is a false gospel. Many images that people have in their mind about going to heaven when they die is about living on or floating in the clouds. And so therefore, I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want us to see one of the best, clearest definitions of the gospel. And it is the goal of this teaching series for the next several weeks to answer the question, what is the gospel? More broadly and secondarily, how is the ascension of Jesus into heaven in an important, essential, vital link of the gospel? So let's read the passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. In one sentence, the big idea of today's message is that the gospel, which means good news, The gospel is good news because it means that a human being is in heaven right now. The gospel is good news because, in part, out of a lot of things that it means, it means that a human being is in heaven right now. Every Christmas, I think the tradition I grew up in, and probably for, again, most of you, more Protestant, evangelical kind of Christian churches— We have done a good job at marveling that God has become man. Or to put it another way, heaven has come down to earth. But after Easter, the evangelical Protestant church has not done so well at marveling that God is still man. That we should be standing in awe after Easter every year 
as we are in this teaching series, that heaven did not just come down to earth, but earth has gone into heaven. Jesus Christ has gone where no human has gone before, even Elijah or Enoch. He is in the heavens and he is on the throne of God. So let's see this in the Bible. So let's look again at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and notice the way Paul says in verse 1, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you. It means the gospel needs to be reminded of. Maybe you've heard the gospel before. This will not be a waste of your time. You should be reminded of it. Further clarified and understood or better understanding of the gospel. We see that the gospel is something that is preached. This is what we mentioned last week. Because the essence of the gospel is a message, therefore, what do you do with a message? You don't necessarily live the gospel, you preach the gospel. The gospel is news to be preached, or as I said last week, a message to be proclaimed. It is a message that is then received because it demands a response. It's hard news. Hard as in, you've got to do something with it. It's not a take it or leave it. Something must be done as to whether or not your life will be in line with this message or a rejection of it. It's a message that must be continually received, continually believed. Look at the way he said, and by which you are being saved, in which you stand, in which you're holding fast. We take our stand on the gospel. A message that saves us not just once when we pray one little prayer and said, oh, that's when I got saved. But we are being saved by the gospel as we continually are reminded of the gospel. So, Embassy Church, take a stand on the gospel. Preach it to one another. Hear it regularly from the church services because we want to center our services around Jesus Christ and him crucified. Hold fast to this message so that your faith will not prove to be empty or as Paul says here in verse 2, in vain. Verse 3 now. The gospel is the message that he delivered, Paul that is, as a message of first importance. It is the most important message in the Bible. The first and most important message in the Bible is not something that you should do. It is something that God did. The most important message in the Bible is not the Ten Commandments. It is not love your neighbor as yourself. It is an action of God to save. And then the Ten Commandments become important and even possible. Christ died for sins is the summary of the message in verse 3. This is the message of first importance. Christ died for our sins and in accordance with the scriptures. He was then buried. He was then raised on the third day also in accordance with the scriptures. And then he talks about the appearances starting in verse 6 and following. In other words, there is a plan from the Father that has been recorded in the scriptures. Part of that plan is that God would send Jesus into the world as a man, that that man would suffer and die for sins. He would then be buried and take on the place of being put into the ground where the dead go, descending down into the earth. But then he would be raised on the third day, and he would appear to hundreds of people. Amen? Hallelujah. Good news. Yes. 
receive that, hold fast to it, so far so good. But is that it? Is that all of the gospel? Is that the end of the chapter in 1 Corinthians 15? Does that, is that where Paul stops and just says, all right, let's move on. Chapter 16, let me give you some greetings and some final instructions. It's not where it ends. It's not where the gospel ends. But for too many of us, after Easter, that's where we stop. Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again. That's the gospel. So far, we've seen five things about the gospel. The scriptures reveal the, the plan of the Father, number one. Number two, God the Son became a human, and that that human is Jesus the Christ. Number three, Jesus suffered and died for sins. Number four, Jesus was buried and descended to the dead. Number five, he was raised on the third day. But as we saw last week, there are two things that still remain for our seven links in the gospel. And those two things are the ascension of Jesus into the heavens as Lord and judge over all the earth. And seventhly, the Holy Spirit being poured out to empower all who would receive the gospel. The ascension of Christ and the outpouring of the Spirit is what's missing if you stop reading 1 Corinthians 15 somewhere around verse 7, 8, 9, 10, or 11. Just take a scripture passage, pull it out, say, I like this summary, and let me just use that summary and not keep reading. That's what happens. And what we'll see if we keep reading is that Jesus' ascension to heaven and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit are a part of the gospel. And as I said, the big idea of today's message is that the gospel is good news, at least in part because it means a human being is in heaven right now. So drop your eyes down to verse 22. And this is a very dense, thick, theological chapter, and we're not going to spend all our time in every part of it. But let's look at verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, he is the firstfruits. Then, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. If we pause right here at this moment, I think it's very clear that the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 corresponds to the short, summary, technical definition of the gospel that we had last week. If you were to summarize the gospel in the shortest possible way, it would be, our God reigns. Or Jesus Christ, who is our God. He is king. He reigns. That's what this passage that I just read to you is about. That Jesus will deliver the kingdom to God the Father. He's about establishing a kingdom and about reigning and ruling in the heavens. He wants to destroy every rule and every authority and power and then deliver that to the Father as a gift. Look at verse 25. For in fact, he must reign. It's like, of course, that's what this whole thing is about. He must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. In other words, Jesus died for sins. He descended to the dead. He rose from the dead. And then he ascended to the throne and presented and offered to God all that he had done on the earth. And therefore, he is establishing a new kingdom, and that new kingdom will put all the enemies of the earth, the most devastating of those enemies being death, under his feet. Jesus died to defeat death. Jesus died in order to be raised and then reign. Not just raised, raised to reign. He is not just alive. 
He is risen and ruling. The resurrection is not the end of the gospel story. And in fact, the most important chapter explaining the resurrection explains this explicitly. It's just we stop reading, I think. It's kind of silly, isn't it? It's right here in the text. I hope you're seeing that I'm not making this up. The gospel story is about getting a human into heaven to rule over the heavens and the earth. This is why he talks about Adam and Eve. Why there's this contrast between there was the first Adam and now there's this second Adam, Adam and then Jesus. This is because the job from the beginning of the Bible for humans was to reign and rule. To be an image bearer is to be a prince or princess where God is the great king and we are his vice regent rulers with him, reigning and ruling with him, dominion over the earth. That's the first page of the Bible. And this is also why he quotes Psalm 8 in verse 27 about everything being subjected under his feet. He's showing that the plan in accordance with the scripture is that humans would share the authority of God by ruling over the earth and displaying the rule of God all over the earth. And Psalm 8 is all about that. Read Psalm 8. But death came into the world and all of humanity did not want God to be their king. They were not content with being prince and princess. They wanted to be the rulers a kind of king and queen. And the result of that has been and has continued to be death reigning. Death reigns in this present earth. It wins. Everybody submits to king death. Who's beat death? Well, up until Jesus, no one. The gospel is not ultimately about going to heaven when you die. That's not the best way to present the gospel, at least if when you think about that, that's the end goal and it's non-material and non-physical. So at this point, I just want you to imagine what we started doing last week. I want you to imagine the picture of, of gospel. Imagine you're living under a repressive regime. You're living in a village. You're living 3,000 years ago and it is an awful existence, but you hear an announcement a messenger comes and he declares news of a new king who won a battle and that he would be on a throne and that he would reign and rule over the earth and that he would be generous and he would make all the sad things come untrue. He would make all the wrongs right. This is a good king and you're excited. You're happy. You have hope. You have joy. Now imagine as months, maybe even years go by, you start reordering your life in light of this good news. But then you discover that this new king that everybody was talking about has actually been on the throne for, for months, years now, and nothing changes. What if he even came and visited your village, spent several months with you in person? Nothing changes. Would it be good news if he was present and alive, but no change to the kingdom? Corruption still exists. Death still reigns. It's no good news. It's a terrible disappointment. What a letdown. All that you were hoping for that this new king would bring when he arrives doesn't come and deliver. There he is, but nothing happens. So if the king is present, but the major powers that were there before he became on the throne aren't defeated, then the victory is not much of a victory and the news is not much of a good news. But what if the king wasn't on the throne yet or 
What if the king hadn't arrived into the village yet? What if he was still at work? What if part of what needed to happen still wasn't done yet? And therefore, his absence was not bad news, but yet good news yet to come. That would mean there's still hope. That would mean the day of freedom is on the horizon. Jesus is that king. His ascension is a departure. And that departure is about putting all of the enemies under his feet, even the enemy of death, and establishing a new kingdom. And friends, look around. That kingdom doesn't yet exist on this earth. So if he was here and he said, guys, I defeated death and I'm the king over all the universe and death still reigned, that would suck. That would be bad news. That would not be good for us. What would be good news is if he left and he was, in fact, establishing a new kingdom and that there is a new world that has already started to come into motion and the completion of it is still on the horizon. And in the meantime, He does not completely leave us as if he's absent in fullness, but that his Holy Spirit is sent so that he is absent, but he is present. And his Spirit prepares us and reminds us and points us to that coming new world and empowers us to endure the sufferings of this present world. This is why theologians, when they're talking about the ascension, say the ascended Lord is not everywhere but he is accessible everywhere. Because of where he is in his spatial location of not on the earth, he is accessible to everyone as he rules over every aspect of heaven and earth. Friends, does this make sense? Are you starting to see? Are you being reminded that Jesus being absent is good news? If Jesus is not absent, then if he is not absent and everything is still as is, then we have no hope, friends. The rule and reign of Jesus would be the rule that we see on the earth now and in the church. And that, I think, is a major disappointment to the promises that God has given us in his word of a new world, of a new creation. That new creation is not established in all of the fullness of the way the Bible has described it. So the biggest problem with our present world is death reigning. And since the gospel is about defeating death and restoring the good plans of creation, then getting a human to rule with God in the heavens is step one. And that is good news. We cannot rule with God for all of eternity if we are continually rebelling and dying. And so this gospel is about making new humans new creation, filled with the Spirit of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit for all of eternity. And that's exactly what we see at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. So now look down at verse 42. We're skipping some, certain sections, not because they're not important. Some of them are quite controversial, like baptism to the dead and whatever else. But for now, we're just trying to make this one point, that Jesus' ascension into heaven is a human going into heaven, and that that unleashes new creation and the power of the spirit look at verse 42 so it is with the resurrection of the dead what is sown is perishable but what is raised is imperishable and what Paul's going to about to do just to make sure you're understanding all these back and forth is he's saying your body it will die death reigns in this present earth but when it goes into the ground it's like a seed 
It's being sown into the earth. And when it's sown, it's a dead body. But when it's raised, it will be fully alive. And so he starts contrasting this. Verse 43, it is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown as a natural body. It's being raised as a spiritual body. And if there is a natural body, then that must mean there is also a spiritual body. So, as it is written, he quotes now Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. The first man, Adam, became a living being. But the last Adam, Jesus Christ, he became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth. He was a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. And as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, namely us. We will die like Adam. But as is the man from heaven, of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven, raised, new life, immortal, like Jesus. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. The goal of the gospel is not for your spirit to float into the heaven and your body be left into the ground and you live forever in the clouds in spirit form. And it's not to have the God of the heavens ask you, why should I let you into this non-material spiritual existence where you live forever and ever? The goal of the gospel is that the dead will be raised by the power of the Spirit. And in the same way that God's Spirit breathed life into the very first human being in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, so much more will Jesus, the last Adam, pour out the gift of the Spirit to us. Did you see that in verse 45? That the Spirit talk that I'm referring to is not made up. I didn't be like, well, I just want to make sure that's pushed in there. It's there in the text. The most confusing thing, though, about this passage I just read is that many people read the phrase spiritual body and say, I don't know, kind of sounds like we're going to float up as spirits. The adjective spiritual is not an adjective that talks about the makeup of the body as in its essence, but rather its power. The contrast is between natural or fleshly or sinful, natural, fleshly bodies that are going to decay and die versus spirit-filled bodies that are humans that exist like these bodies but better. Natural bodies are powered by the desires of sin. Spiritual bodies are powered by the Holy Spirit of God. Wouldn't that be glorious? What if your physical body was fully and always powered by God? Would that be good news? I think of it like this. Imagine the difference between a paddle boat in the water. I did this with my son not too long ago. You know how you like do those like foot paddle boats and there's two of you and then his legs aren't long enough so we're really just going in circles. I want you to imagine that because that's humanity. We're like these little paddle boats and we're just going in circles and we're not getting anywhere and it's just futile. So there's the paddle boat, and then there's a speedboat with this honking double engine on the back that can go 70 miles an hour on the water. The paddle boats are being powered by the foolish limitations of human beings. The speedboats have a different motor and engine that will make it go. And if you want to run or win a race, you better get that motor. You want to achieve the goal of creation, you need the Spirit of God empowering every little fiber and cell of your being. In the same way, then, the contrast is not between a material body and a non-material body. 
That would be like saying, oh, the race is between a paddle boat and a speedboat. Instead, say it's a race between a boat and an automobile. That's completely different categories. The adjective is not talking about its essence, but its power. And that, I think, is undergirding so much of this half-truth, almost false gospel when we think that the end goal is to be in a spirit form in the heavens forever. Salvation does not make us something other than human. It makes us truer humans, better humans. That's why the gospel is good news that right now there is a human in heaven. Guys, I hope that you have moments like I have had for the last three years where I just go, ha, a human in heaven. One of the quotes is John Duncan who said, right now the dust of earth is sitting on the throne in heaven. Hallelujah. The gospel is good news because a human being, the dust, the things of this earth, has crossed the ultimate barrier into the throne of heaven, and it did not get sent and banished out. It stayed, and it has started something that's going to happen in the future for us where there is a new creation with a new body, and bodies that were dead are going to be raised, and they are going to be filled with the Spirit of God forever and ever and ever. That's good news. The gospel is good because the spirit of God is being poured out upon this broken creation. I think another way to just imagine the the contrast would be more like, if boats don't help, an infant in the womb for nine months and then a human being outside of the womb. The similarities between the baby in the womb and the baby outside of the womb. We're not talking about boats and automobiles or human beings and spirit forms or the baby in the womb then becomes some kind of weird creature. It's, it's the seed form of what will be a human as it's growing and developing. And it has a certain way of existing and an order there where they get nutrients through their umbilical cord. Crazy, right? Like just think about how a baby exists for nine months in the womb and develops and all that goes on there. And then, for the very first time, it breathes with these things that are called lungs. And it cries and it speaks. And it's like, this is a whole new world that I'm now experiencing. That, my friends, is creation of this world. And it's all its limitations, including death. And then, there's new creation. There is new birth. And I didn't make that illustration up. That's from Romans chapter 8, by the way. That the creation is eagerly longing and groaning like a woman who's having a baby. And one day that baby's going to be born and it is going to be a whole new birth for all of creation. So, why does this matter? I hope it already is just like, I think this matters a lot. It makes a lot of sense. But in case any of you got distracted, can't connect the dots well, that's part of my job. So, number one, why does this matter? Why does the ascension of a man into the heavens matter to you? First, it means that creation is good. The Bible says that the creation is very good. But this means that the new creation will be even better. Creation is good. The original creation was very good. New creation will be even better. I want to quote one of the books that I read early on in my studies on the ascension It said that the ascension of Christ is a story about a human body moving into heaven. It is not escape from the bodily realm, but it is the entry of humanity in all of its physicalness into heaven, the sphere and realm of God. 
And far from diminishing the importance of the human body, the ascension is the ultimate affirmation of bodily existence. Therefore, all that is good and right in creation, the managing and the taking care of your human bodies, not giving ourselves over into addictions and habits and eating disorders and all kinds of things, or even over idolizing and objectifying the human body as if this is the end that we have, or, or as our body decays, or it starts to break down, and we get older, and, and things hurt, and all of those things regarding creation, this framework that the creation is good, in fact, it's very good, but the new creation will be better. Friends, think about all that's going on with human bodies, and not just the body itself, but then creation. Scott, thank you for your prayer. That was a wonderful meditation. I hope you guys were hearing Scott just pray and praise God that we have taste buds and appetites and that we can enjoy relationships and fellowship, that there's something really good about the created world. So, Embassy Church, if you're catching my gist, I want you to have a really good lunch today. Uh, I mean, whatever it may be. And I want you to not just be thankful that there are calories that are able to energize your body, but that you have taste buds and that there's the diversity of foods and palates and, and all the things that make just God's world good. And you can eat that not thinking like, well, it's all just going to be burned up one day and we're going to live forever in a spirit form. Every little appetite that has its sense of pleasure and goodness, you can affirm as a gift from God as long as you don't make that good thing a God thing and you realize that it is ultimately because of God's amazing gift and he wants you to enjoy it and that one day we'll have the right spiritual bodies and desires and abilities to enjoy them rightly for all of eternity. That's good. Creation's good. This present world has a lot of good things in it. Secondly, not only does this, the ascension of Jesus into the heavens affirm the just utter goodness of creation and that God cares about it and wants to restore it and renew it and set it back on its right trajectory. Secondly, if Jesus is a human ruler, not just a spiritual ruler, a human ruler in the heavens, that means all present rulers of this world should take notice. They should be submitting themselves consciously, subconsciously, however, like they need to know there's a new king on the throne, a human king. And so it was um, this book, again, early on in my studies that captured my heart on this point. And I just want to share this little excerpt from you because that's what I'm going to be doing for the next few weeks is sharing excerpts of just amazing thoughts about the ascension of Jesus. And here is one of them. As Douglas Farrow notes, if we have spiritualized the ascension of Jesus and we believe that Jesus was safely diffused and then his physical body was dissolved into the heavens, then he will no longer seem a threat to any of the rulers of this world. Then we can neatly divide the regions of the world's existence into an authority between spiritual authority and worldly authority. We can then build a wall between public and private truth and will protect people from the claims and the rule of God. If Jesus is spiritualized in this way, then the kings and the rulers of this world can run free without any restraint from the preaching of the church. And it can allow the church to run after the things of the world without any downdraft, downdraft pressure that one day Jesus will return as a human. But if the incarnation continues, 
and Jesus is enthroned, then there is a direct relationship to this world and its rulers and his reign and rule. There is a real human king reigning over the world from the heavens. He is a man who once walked among us and is on the throne, and he is not aloof from the affairs that are in the realm below. All the powers of the earth, therefore, are merely temporary and derived. There is no authority except that which has been established by God. This then is truly a threatening message to anyone who makes claims of their own sovereignty. Be on notice. Any world rulers, and I mean this in the most direct, practical way for Embassy Church. Yesterday we had a class and we were talking about some of the political movements that are going on and how several of these movements are directly intentionally trying to undermine and overthrow God as king and destroy the foundational fundamental society of the human family and get rid of Christianity. Like this is not some sort of conspiracy theory. I think that it is well established that there are at least parts of our society that are aiming to do that very thing. And that's devastatingly sad news. It's, it's frustrating. It's, as one church member said yesterday, this makes me sick to my stomach when I hear something like that. And the only remedy, as she went on to go and explain, is that our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is in the gospel. Because if you go and look around at the rulers of this world and then the reign and rule of death, and you think, it's just it's the way things are always going to be, that will not sustain you. From election to election, from one world power to another power. But if we know that there is a human in the heavens and everybody better be put on notice. Third and finally, the good news of the gospel is that what will happen to Christians when they die is that they will be raised from the dead. I don't know what will happen necessarily between your death and the intermediate state between your death and that resurrection, but here's what I do know. That's not the end of the story. That's not the end goal. That's not the main focus of the New Testament. There's maybe four or five passages that talk about when I die, then my, my soul, my spirit is with Jesus. And that sounds beautiful and wonderful. I think you should believe it. I think when someone dies and they're a believer in Christ, you can have hope that it is a good thing, that they are experiencing the presence of God in some way, whatever that means. But here's what we do know. As your pastor, when somebody passes away and they die and they're like, pastor, what hope can we have as we look at death in the face? The gospel brings about resurrection. You'll be raised. So what will happen to you when you die? It's not so much what will happen to your spirit at that moment. Sure, good thing to talk about, good thing to hope in. What will happen to your actual body? What will happen to this earth? It will be made new. And all of the sad things will come untrue and all the wrongs will be made right. And everything that you've experienced partially good will be even better as the spirit of God is poured out and fully embodies and fills every last cook, nook and cranny and corner of this universe. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come now in the name of the ascended Son, Jesus the Christ. And we thank you for the gift of the Spirit that has already been a seal and a down payment of the good news of the gospel. Oh God, our hearts are weary. In many ways, we need this gospel. And so we just want to thank you for the hope that's found 
the hope that's found about the restoring of creation, the hope that's found for the decay and the the wearing down of our body, for the chronic pain for anyone in this room, God, I pray they'd find hope today that this body is not the end. Father, I want to pray for those that are, are struggling with the political turmoils. They're looking down the corridor of various things and they, they don't have a lot of hope for maybe America or maybe the way the, the world is going. I pray, Father, that they would remember that Jesus is human and he is in heaven and he cares about earthly things. He cares intimately about humans. I pray, Father, that we would be so encouraged, so strengthened, so emboldened in the meantime by the power of your spirit to persevere, to press on, to preach the gospel, to receive the gospel, to stand on the gospel, and that we would not get tired of reminding each other of this gospel. Help us, Father, to be a gospel-centered, gospel-saturated church, and may that saturation just spill out all around our community to those that are putting all their hope in the here and now of this destruction and this world that's decaying. Father, we pray for what John said earlier in the service, that we would share this good news and that people would come to faith in Jesus. So do this and so much more through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're here today and you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul has put it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that there's a gospel, the gospel that I just preached to you. Do you believe that? Have you received it? Have you taken your stand on the gospel? Were you not just saved once because you repeated a prayer, but you are being saved? Well, if that's you today, then I want to encourage you to receive yet again the gospel as it's being displayed in the bread and the cup. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you don't believe the gospel, you have doubts, you have questions, you're welcome to be here every week. We want you to be here. But I would especially encourage you to receive the gospel. I want to persuade you to think about what you've heard today, and I want you to receive this good news and center your whole life around it.